celebrating classics and creating new ones. Only on the Music Vibes Podcast. Now, here's your host, DC Hendrix. So joining us on the Music Vibes Podcast, brought to you by Orbit Music here in Mishawaka, Indiana. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are available. Be sure to make us one of your favorites by subscribing to keep up to date and leave us a review. Scroll on down and let us know what you are thinking of this podcast where we celebrate classics and create new ones. So our guest for this week, we need a lot of help to talk about all-female bands. And we're talking all-female rock bands. There's this fantastic article in Rolling Stone. And we got senior writer David Brown joining us right now to help dig into his article and just talk in general, all female-led bands. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Dude, you're great to be here. Absolutely. So very excited about this article. So let, let's let's start there and just kind of dig into you know your approach to writing this article that you have in the Rolling Stone. Um, and you're talking about a band in specific that kind of got everything started. And you were talking about Goldie and the Gingerbread. So talk about your article. Uh, sure. Um, you know, I think it was <clears throat> somehow, to some degree, instigated by the idea that uh, the Go-Go's are getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, this year, which is great and about time. And, you know, the news of that, uh, as well as the documentary on them last year, which was good, uh, uh, made me start thinking, well, they're great, they deserve to be in there. Um, but uh, kind of as with Rush getting in before Yes into the Hall of Fame, it makes you think, hmm, were there people who were doing it before that as well who should be acknowledged? And certainly the, you had the Runaways in the 70s, and there was a group called Fanny in the late 60s, early 70s. These were also all-women bands. And somewhere in the recesses of my brain, <laughs> I can't remember how, how it happened, but I was like, oh, wait, wasn't there... Wasn't there this band in the really early 60s with Genya Ravon, who went on to do many other things as a solo artist and producer? And I was like, oh, right, the Goldie, uh, the Goldie and the Gingerbreads, I think. And, and I just, um, you know, I just started uh, poking around and, and realized that uh, there was a kind of a story there that that had rarely been told. And mm. with the Go-Go's, like I said, getting into the Hall of Fame, I thought, well, that, this might be a good time to... Um, acknowledge the people who kind of paved the way for bands like the Go-Go's. Yeah, and that's that's a big reason why you had that article on, and you highlighted Goldie and the Gingerbread. So I definitely want to start there. Is this article really intrigued me, and the story really intrigued me, mainly because I'm a program director for an R&B radio station, and I'm kind of reading this article and this story, and I'm starting to listen to them because personally, I'm a young guy, and I'm still learning, and that's what this podcast is all really about, is not only you know, getting introduced to new bands, but also learning about these bands that, you know, we may or may not know about that was before our time. And Go to the Gingerbreads was a little bit before my time, not to mention, you know, as you mentioned in the story, didn't make it into the mainstream, you know, like the big time uh, into the limelight, like a lot of people would see. And, you know, you talked about and, you know, when you listen to them, you think, man, this group could possibly be in Motown. You know, you're listening to them like this could easily be a Barry Gordy group. Um, and that's something I wanted to highlight as well. But you also mentioned in the story how their their story, how they got brought up personally, was similar to Jimi Hendrix. Kind of elaborate on that. Uh, sure. I mean, first, to, to take it back, you have to realize, of course, that in 1962-ish or 63, when this group uh, first started coming together, uh, the idea of uh, an entire rock and roll band made of women musicians was like it's unthinkable 
mm-hmm. back then. I mean, these days it's it's no big deal. There's been plenty, and uh, you know we we've all we all saw the Linda Lindos, uh, you know, doing uh, doing uh, popping up on the TV and YouTube and variety shows just recently, and everyone's like, great, cool. But back 60, 60 years ago, which is mind-boggling in and of itself, it was that long ago, um, the, the idea of, of just a band made of women was something that just baffled the industry. in particular came together uh, basically in, in New York City, started by uh, a woman named Genia Ravon, who I mentioned earlier, who um, was singing with, uh, with, a, with another band of, of mostly men, and, and she saw a, a woman drummer playing at a club in the village, and it all kind of clicked, like, well, wait a minute, maybe wouldn't it be cool to have an all-women band? And, and they, they put together several different lineups. Um, as you said, they, they loved playing um, R&B covers. They didn't really write that many songs themselves, or hardly any, actually, but uh, they loved playing. They were, they were kind of a cover band early on. Uh, and once they kind of solidified their quartet lineup uh, in 63 to 4, um, they started touring and they opened. I mean, you know, you think about it, they, they, they landed a record contract with Atlantic Records, which was a big deal. They opened in, uh, in on a European tour for the for the Stones, and then another tour they opened for the Kinks and the Yardbirds on kind of a package tour. So they had all of these opportunities, uh, and yet um, through a number of circumstances, they they never quite made it. You know, they they put out three singles, none of them were were hits, um, and as a result, they they were never accorded an album. You know, which is, you know, back then it's like, well, if your singles don't do well, then you don't get an album. <laughs> and so there's no, until now, which is a, there's a compilation album finally coming out all these years later, but there was no album back then. Um, they uh, were, were, they were not treated shabbily necessarily, but by club owners, but there was a lot of skepticism, like a lot of, you know, uh, and I'm quoting one of the women in the article. She, you know, they would hear things like "use broads, know how to play." What? What is this? You know, they have to kind of really prove themselves that they could play uh, their instruments and sing. And and even when they did, um, you know, they were forced to record songs they necessarily didn't love because uh, it was a, it was such a male-dominated industry and so forth. And so you know, and they continued for a couple of years until finally, you know, just the you know, the lack of success and, you know, the typical, you know, frictions that come up within bands kind of uh, tore them apart, and they were kind of over by 67 or so, and didn't leave much of a trace. You know, there were just a couple of singles, which are, which are long gone, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, you could find them on YouTube, but that's it. And um, and so, you know, and they, they, they had to deal with uh, one particular producer who tried to assault one of the women, and it was just, it was... Uh, yeah, you know, they faced a lot of hurdles back then that a lot of uh, uh, male bands, whole male bands at the time, didn't necessarily face. 
And so it was, uh, you know, they they kind of um, not that not to say that you know the Go Go's and others didn't have similar challenges because they did, but I think this was the first band to really realize, like, you know, we have to uh, really prove ourselves even more and have to overcome these stereotypes even more than perceived at the time. Yeah, and obviously, you know, with them coming up in the early '60s, it's in a time where, and you know, as as you mentioned in the article and in the story, you know, this is an all white female band who sounds like they could be in Motown. Sounds like an all black group. It could could very well have been. Could, you could obviously play them, and somebody my age could be like, "Is that the Supremes?" Like it could, it could, like they they could easily be confused. And just coming up in that time where. I mean, black stations aren't going to play them and white stations aren't going to play them. That's just not I, I think it was just the, the timing was all wrong. They were so ahead of their time and so innovative that it was just it, it's it sucks to say that, but just way ahead of their time, way ahead of it. And as I was reading that story, I just thought and that that's what really inspired this topic today. And, you you know, so my first initial reaction to, you know, kind of reading the story as they kind of didn't really make it. Uh, back in the 60s and it just didn't the success just didn't st- sustain itself so who do you think was the first successful all-women band well i guess it depends how you define successful um there were gradations of success mm-hmm. i think uh, each band that came along after them um, broke down another barrier or, or smashed a little more of that glass ceiling, if you want to say, um, to the to get to that point. Uh, after Goldie and the Gingerbreads, you had a group, for example, like Ace of Cups, who were a San Francisco-based kind of jam band, mm-hmm. uh, and they they had um, uh, a little bit more kind of industry attention in the sense of being part of that sort of Grateful Dead scene, and they, they played, you know, they opened for the dead, and Steve Miller, and again, but again, <clears throat> never even got a, a meeting with a record company, because it was considered so out there. Like, people just, again, we're talking 67, 68s, even, the, even then, you know, a few years after Goldie, the idea of an all-woman band was something record company people couldn't get their heads around, they thought it was a novelty. Then you had Fanny, who were uh, an old band who, who were in the West Coast. Uh, they had success in the sense that they actually got a record deal with Warner Brothers Records. They put out four albums uh, on Warner Brothers in the late 60s to the early 70s. Um, were produced by a guy named Richard Perry, who uh, also produced big hits by Carly Simon and Ringo Starr and many others. Uh, and was in the first group with the Genya of, of uh, Goldie and Gingerbreads before Goldie, but that's that's a whole other story. But but so Fanny Fanny took another step. They they got the record deal. They got the uh, um, the attention to some degree. But again, the records didn't sell incredibly well, and they broke up as well. Then you had the Runaways. Shh, shh, shh. 
that was Joan Jett, Lita Ford, Sherry Carey, all all those uh, those those women who um, they had a big they had a major label deal. They had a big producer Kim Fowley working with them. They got a lot of media attention. Cherry Bomb is like a total classic of the kind of a glam power pop metal <laughs> whatever you want to call it uh, uh, a classic song but um, you know again uh, but didn't didn't sell a whole lot of records and didn't you know was they were sort of marketed as you know uh, um, they weren't underage but almost as if they I mean, it was a weird there was a weird kind of marketing thing around them that, that sort of seemed to hamper them as well uh but again they took another step they got more they got more press than a lot of the bands before and they made a couple records for a major label um and what you needed at that point was a group to actually have hits <laughs> uh and that's where the go-go's come in That first record came out was huge, and you know they played all those instruments. They wrote or co-wrote those songs, and and so it, it, the history of women bands is one little breakthrough after another over the course of you know at least twenty years, you know, which certainly was not the case with with male bands. <laughs> there was no learning curve like that, you know. But it, it but it's, it but it shows you what what sort of uh, obstacles they they face to have to. Uh, to kind of have to prove themselves uh, that was just all out of out of balance. Yeah, that's crazy. And obviously, here in 2021, it's obviously you know, and and that that's how far we've come. You know, people listening to this are probably just baffled at how far things have come. You know, while we still got a ways to go when it comes to the ladies getting the love in the rock hall, but we're I think this year's class definitely showed that we're definitely going in the step in the right direction. The go goes Tina Turner. It, it's definitely going towards that level and. I'm really glad you mentioned the Runaways and the Go-Go's in that statement because those are the two all-female groups that I think of right away, and I think most people would. And you mentioned, and so so let's talk about the Go-Go's just briefly here. As, the, as you mentioned, getting inducted into the Rock Hall, I mean, obviously, a lot of people would agree, you know, well-deserved. I mean, tons of hits, recognizable hits for people even my age. Vacation is probably one that a lot of people would recognize. We got the beat. Our lips are sealed. But, of course, you know, your first reaction when you see that the Go-Go's finally get that induction into the Rock Hall. My first reaction was, well, it's a, you know, it's about time. Um, right. Because I think, uh, like you said, those songs turn to you is, is another great one from one of their later records. Um, and, and, again, I think without naming names, I mean, there are some people in the Hall of Fame who maybe just had one hit that was one like one iconic song were men and there are a number of instances like that where you think well okay you know sure <laughs> but what about this other group that 
has had a whole bunch of hits, and it was 40 years ago, which is long past, you know, the qualification period. Um, you know, why it took this long, I, I, I can't explain that. You know, it's just the whole process of it, which I'm not involved in. Um, but I think my first re- my reaction was, uh, well, good. You know, maybe this will, um, maybe the Runaways will be next. You know, almost like they, I feel like they should be. Uh, and, you know, I think it's... Um, I think it's a, you know, it does make me wonder, again, if it took things, um, and I, I'm, this is just speculation on my part, but, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a Broadway musical based on, with using Go-Go's music. Uh, it wasn't a big hit, but it was around for a few months there, pre, pre-pandemic. Uh, there was a documentary on the Go-Go's last year, and it's like, okay, I guess... It, people needed to be reminded <laughs> uh, by way of these other projects. Oh, yes, right. Right. Uh, right. They were around. Uh, let's consider them. The fact that it maybe took all that to remind people of them was is unfortunate. You know, uh, I mean, it worked out well. But maybe, uh, maybe think, well, you know, maybe other groups didn't have to uh, or they, you know, people didn't have to be, have a kind of in-your-face reminders of someone <laughs> the way that uh, the first all-woman band Hall of Fame had to be uh, reminded of. So it's it's um, you know I think it's a good thing, and I think um, you know I think I, I, hopefully it will pave the way for 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 even more in the years to come. Uh, I, I assume it will. Uh, we'll see. You know, kind of who's next. Uh, you know, I don't know if Bikini Kill or something will will get in there, but uh, that'd be nice, you know. And I think there's certainly a number of other contenders. Like I said, the Runaways would be cool, um, uh, but uh, you know, it, it's it's. I think it's a good, you know, it's overdue, but it's a good thing. I guess Absolutely. how I put it. Absolutely agree. And, you know, kind of looking at some other female groups that I, I mean, I had to do a little bit of research in order to come up with a couple of them just because some of her i wanted to verify the band name so one that definitely came to my head also i had to take it back a little bit for this one and basically this is just to get a couple more bands from you too to kind of give some other female groups some recognition here but i marked down the renettes um that's obviously a long time before me but i do remember be my baby i'm sure that's one that's really you know recognizable when people hear that song probably a lot of people once again um, I, I think I was talking about this song earlier to someone in the hallway here at the radio station and someone's like, isn't that the Supremes? I'm like, no, that's, it's the Renettes. That's not even, and that's the problem is a lot of these, you know, bands are so long ago that, and they just assume that they're a different group, but I marked the Renettes. Um, I also marked Babes in Toyland, Courtney Love, uh, had to give them a little love. And then, uh, the group, uh, so I'm a nineties kid and I remember hearing this band in the late nineties and they're called the Donna's. And I know they got big in the late 90s. I definitely wanted to give them some extra pub as I've seen in quotes that they were compared as the Ramones meet the Runaways. And that was the way that they were described. So what do you think of those bands as well as all female groups? And do you have any more to add? Well, um, I think, uh, well, it's, it's an interesting distinction. And I'm glad you brought it up between, um, I guess, what, what, what is called in the industry girl groups and actual bands. And I think the girl groups, which is basically the singing groups, who are backed by often male musicians, like the Ronettes, uh, mm-hmm. the Supremes, other ones like that, um, they, 
they tend to get more respect than the groups that are actually made up of women playing instruments. And so, and so, you know, uh, I, I I think that you know, like the the Supremes and and Ronettes, and I've been in the Hall of Fame now. I think both for a while, and rightly so. But I and I think uh, I could, you know, you, you, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Destiny's Child at some point got in pretty mm-hmm. soon. But but it's it's the groups of who of of women who play their own instruments and and things like that that is that's still the barrier. And and I think well, like you say. Um, Courtney Love should absolutely be in the Hall of Fame, and especially for her band Hole. Um, you know, uh, Babes in Toyland was another band around that time. They weren't didn't quite make it as big as Hole did, but Hole should absolutely. And Courtney is just like one of the one of the great rock stars, I think, of the last thirty years, and so it absolutely should be in there. Um, and the Donnas, I think, you know, I think they. Um, I think they uh, made some cool records, and I think they built on what was happening. You know, the indie rock world of the '80s and '90s, I think, like was 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 very important in this, in that there were um, a, a lot more women in bands. You had, you know, a woman like uh, a musician like uh, Kim Gordon in Sonic Youth. Like she was the only woman in that band, but she was one of the the front people in the band. She played bass. Had a very distinctive style of playing bass and singing, um, and you know she made a statement just being in that in that band. And I think there were many others uh, who who came afterwards, um, you know, which led to you know Courtney Love and and Bikini Kill and Babes in Toyland and and a whole kind of explosion uh, a band called Lush, who I think were not entirely. I think there was maybe a male drummer, if I'm remembering correctly. They were British in the 90s. There were um, there was you know, uh, Liz Fair, not a band, but a, you know, but certainly you know a front woman, uh, and I, I think again those bands built on kind of what happened with the Go Go's and the Runaways and took it to another step, another degree. Although again, it took another ten, fifteen years. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know there are these long there are these like long weird gaps in a way between. Uh, you know, uh, breakthroughs, and then the next breakthrough is a long time later. Um, uh, unfortunately, it seems to be part, of, kind of built into that history. Um, you know, even now with all this attention on the Linda Lindas, uh, I mean, we're in 2021, and I'm thinking, well, okay, you know, when was the last big noteworthy? Um, Oh, new all women band. It was probably at least ten years ago, fifteen years ago. So you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's an it's um it kind of comes in fits and starts, and I I'm not sure exactly why that is. Um, I mean, we're certainly in a in a period of time now where you know rock has kind of receded. So I think that's part of it. You know, we're in a we're hip hop and dance music and pop are kind of the leading uh, uh, music of the time. Um, which is fine and all good, but then rock and roll has sort of become a bit more of a niche thing, perhaps, and maybe that is now playing into it somewhat more. But uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. And maybe you know, the, like all the attention that Linda Linda got was like kind of amazing. <laughs> it was like people were uh, and, and they were doing a, a beginning kill song. So I mean, you know, that might that might introduce the idea of this to a whole new generation. Um, like my 18-year-old daughter, who you know is 
not used to seeing, you know, didn't really grow up with rock, you know, uh, and to kind of just sort of discovering it in some ways, but, you know, she kind of grew up with pop and, and hip-hop and things like that. And so it's kind of a new a new idea for her. And um, so I think that's, again, a good thing. It, 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 we're back to baby steps, I guess, in some way. Good way to look at it. And of course, you know, as you mentioned, you I know you mentioned Sonic Youth, and I know we definitely got to talk about your books as well before I let you go. But just one more thing about your story here. And you, I know you tracked them down, uh, Goldie and the Gingerbreads, to kind of revisit this story, which kind of sparked our entire conversation here, just having me think about, you know, all female led groups and bands. Um, and you got to actually talk to them about, you know, their career and things. So how, how exactly did they approach, you know, the whole interview process and kind of revisiting the golden days? They were thrilled to do it. You know, they didn't, they didn't get asked very much about uh, about those days. So, um, and they've all kind of gone off uh, into different things. Only some of them make music anymore. And I think they, you know, I think they look back on that with a certain, certainly a certain amount of pride and a certain disappointment. I think I think the Go Go's getting in uh, before them. Um, makes them think, well, that's great, but gee, what about us? There was a kind of a bit of a recurring sadness about that. Um, and uh, but they were all, you know, uh, one of them has passed away, but there are three surviving members of the band. Um, also, just as a total side note, uh, since I'm mentioning the, the number of people in the band, you know, they were they were a quartet without a bass player, so they were doing that whole guitar, organ, drums, lead singer thing before the Doors, you know. Their Margot Lewis, their excellent keyboard player, played bass on uh, bass pedals, the bass notes on the pedals, kind of like Ray Manzarek did in The Doors. So they were even doing The Doors thing <laughs> before <laughs> The Doors. Uh, and, you know, it's funny to hear them talk about, you know, their one big shot at a hit uh, was a song called uh, Can't You Hear My Heartbeat, which, every, which older listeners will know as a big hit in the mid-60s, from Herman's Hermits, this British invasion band, who did uh, Mrs. Brown, You Have a Lovely Daughter, and uh, things like that. And uh, Golden Gingerbreads recorded it first. Wow. And, they, and it's interesting, they have, uh, they have such mixed feelings about it, because first of all, to get back to something we were talking about earlier, uh, unlike, say, a lot of uh, you know, the Go-Go's, for example, or, or Hole and Courtney Love and many others, um, they didn't totally have control over what songs they would get to record, and they didn't like that song. They, they were they grew up on R&B. They, their their act included they would do covers of songs by the Supremes and Sam and Dave and uh, Eddie Floyd's Knock on Wood. They would they that that's the music they loved and would perform. But they get in the studio and their producers like do this kind of you know lily white cutesy pop song, and they they didn't like it. But they didn't have a choice. It was like. Here's 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 what you got to record, <laughs> which was a sign too of how little control women had at that time in nineteen uh, in the mid sixties. So they did it, and they're thinking, okay, we're not crazy about it, but you know we'll, we'll play the game. And sure enough, their the Herman's Hermits version comes out first in America, and basically beats them to it, and they're kind of left in the dust. So like their one little moment which they weren't crazy about to begin with, really turns out to be uh, a misstep. And, and, but, but again, so revealing of how, you know, what little control women had. They, they didn't produce it themselves. They didn't pick the song. They, they you know, had a few extra musicians play with them. You know, it was, uh, 
again, a sign of how the industry couldn't kind of grapple with the idea. It was so foreign uh, that people were just kind of scratching their heads. Like, what, what do you do with a, with a group of, of, of just women playing? Do we let them That's play crazy. their own instruments? Do we let them pick their own song? Gee, I don't know. <laughs> crazy. And it was a crazy time. It's crazy. Crazy, but good stuff here, David. I mean, a fantastic story that you've written here that's been on my mind since you released it. And as always, I mean, you guys are always doing great stuff at Rolling Stone. My good buddy Brian Hyatt has been on this podcast a few times. And obviously, you guys do fantastic work uh, at RollingStone.com as well. So I cannot bring you on without promoting your books as well. You mentioned Sonic Youth earlier, and I know you have a biography on them. But go ahead, and David, before I let you go, definitely promote some of your books to the listeners, please. Well, we authors always appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, I've written biographies of uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young and The Grateful Dead and Sonic Youth uh, and a book called uh, Fire and Rain, which was about the year 1970 in the music and the country and the culture. Uh, and I also did a, a biography of the late Jeff Buckley and his father, Tim. And I'm currently working on a book about uh, the history of music in New York's Greenwich Village. Uh, tracking it from over the decades of its kind of rise and heyday and, and fall, which was a, a fascinating scene that was also much more diverse than we remember. It's not just all the uh, inside Lewin Davis kind of stuff. There was a lot going on there and a lot of struggles and uh, and uh, suppression going on there as well. So um, I'm in the middle of that, and uh, that won't be out for a little while, but I'm excited about that book as well. I mean, Go to www-davidbrownsne.com for more information, as they say. I, yeah, I love it. That was a good commercial. Great stuff. <laughs> Great stuff. I might, I might have to get you to write some of my commercials for me. That was good. <laughs> Try this product. Uh, <laughs> if you're listening right now, go ahead and scroll on down in the description, and all the links are right there. I got a couple of links to a couple of the books in case you want to check them out, and also the article that pretty much you know sparked our entire conversation today, talking all women, bands, or groups. David Brown from Rolling Stone joining us today. David, thank you so much for joining. We'll have to do this again. Great stuff. Thanks, great to be here. Really appreciate it. It's now time to drop the needle brought to you by Orbit Music here in Mishawaka, Indiana, record store, DVD, and video store located at 2538 Miracle Lane right here in Mishawaka, Indiana. Go ahead and see my friends. See Doug and tell him that Music Vibes podcast sent you. Get you a record or two, a DVD or two, a CD or two. They got it all for you. Located at Orbit Music here in Mishawaka. So it's time to drop the needle. We talked all female bands. My personal favorite one that I think is one of the most underrated. And it probably helps that they came up during my teenage years, my growing up. So I may be a little bit biased. That's okay. But I'm going to drop the needle today on the Donnas. This is from their album Spin the Night. Released in 2002. So let's drop the needle right now on the Donnas. Here's Take It Off. Let's drop the needle.
Time Travel with DC Hendrix on the Music Vibes Podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify on your mobile device. Podcasts by Federated Media.